Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I am so, so, so happy to share this hour with you where we'll examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money to business and beyond. And that is because the human experience is wide and varied. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows exploring life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel and has grown onto its own platform, but we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the August 24th show, John Kane. You can connect with John on social media and at his website, exponentialcashflow.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. John shared loads of great information about investing and how we can leverage knowledge of the stock market to create wealth. You can get to the replay by visiting Somewhere in the Middle at bit.ly slash Somewhere in the Middle Radio and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the August 24th, 2018 show at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle podcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so, so important that we share this message with the youth. But it's not just for the youth. We all need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, guys, I'm really pleased, really excited to introduce tonight's guest, Denise M. August. Denise M. August is the youngest of five born to Lottie and Alfred August in Los Angeles, California. The family later moved to Oakland, California, where she grew up and developed an interest in dance, music, and entertainment. Denise holds an Associate of Arts degree in Human Services. She is a single mother of two and the proud grandmother of five. She has worked in television broadcasting with Fox Channel 2 and ABC Channel 7 News, and she spent the last 20 years working for Contra Costa County CCTV and Employment and Human Services. Denise is a devout member of the St. Matthew's Christian Church in Sacramento under the leadership of Pastor Wayne and First Lady Joanne Shepherd. She serves as assistant to the pastor and just finished six years as a women's ministry president. 
She's a member of Anointed Grace, where she uses the gift of dance to deliver inspirational healing. She is also a member of Anointed Praise, where she uses her voice to praise and worship the Lord. Denise is the director of the Mass Choir, Praise Team, Women's Choir, and Male Chorus. She also is involved in programs that serve families and individuals in need. Denise August's first book, If Only I Knew Then What I Know Now, is a God-inspired autobiography depicting how God guided her through the various challenges of her life. Denise was crowned the 2014 Christian Woman of the Year in Sacramento by the National Council of Negro Women Incorporated and 2016 Woman of Valor in Richmond, California by the IOTA chapter of the Beta Pi Sigma Sorority. She also has been recognized by the Mayor of Sacramento, Assemblyman, a state senator, and the Sacramento Board of Supervisors. Denise is truly a child of God who exemplifies Christ in her daily living. As she always says, I give all the glory to God. I'm just a vessel willing to do His will, His way. I just want to give back to the community and let them know that they are not alone. Well, I would like to welcome Denise M. August to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I'm kind of um, excited to hear what you have to say. I'm, I think I mentioned to you before that I start an interview with two questions. And so mm -hmm. if you're ready, I will ask the two questions. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Denise M. August, who are you? And how did you get to be who you are today? I am a mother of two, a grandmother of five, a published author, and a person that has a caring heart that just loves helping people, helping people through everyday life, and helping them through the challenges, because we all have challenges, and just want to encourage people that you know, you're not alone. We're all going through things, but we just, you know, support each other. And so that's who I am. And how did you get to be that person? Through all the challenges that I've been through, I didn't really have anybody to uh, share with me, to give me advice of what I was going through because I never experienced the things that I was going through. But because of um, the, the things that I had went through, I was able to learn them on my own. And then once I learned them, then I started sharing with others because I didn't want others to um, not feel that they're by themselves. And, you know, because if you don't experience it, and you've never been around it, you don't know how to deal with it, or you don't even know if you're going through it. And I'm talking about a variety of things like domestic violence or teen pregnancy and stuff like that. If you ever been through, you haven't been through that and you're growing up, then you don't know you've been through it. So my heart is to encourage people and share with others about domestic violence and, and stuff like that because 
once I learned how the resources, I share the resources because I don't want other people to have to go through what I went through. And so that's who I am today. I am an advocate for domestic violence. I am an advocate for teen pregnancy. And um, I just love sharing with people to help people and encourage people and keep a smile on their face. That's who I am. All right. Well, let me ask you, you mentioned that a lot of times you don't know that you're going through a particular situation, and particularly as it pertains to uh, domestic violence, I think that's um, surprisingly true. Like a lot of times, um, I think women in particular, we are, uh, what, what do I want to say here, acculturated, we are taught by our society to accept a lot of really bad behavior and not necessarily consider it um, any form of abuse or, or violence, but some of it actually really is, particularly emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. What would you share uh, about your own experience with those things with other people, and how would you help them to realize when they're in a situation that may kind of fall in that what they might consider to be a gray area or not to be abusive at all, that maybe it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first thing that I would share with them is I would share my story because I want people to be able to receive what I'm sharing with them because I don't want them to be thinking that I'm beating them up or, you know, because sometimes it's not what we say to people, it's how we, how we say it to people. Mm-hmm. And that was be determine how they were receiving. And when people are going through things, they don't want to hear "I told you so." They don't want to hear um, "You should have, you should have got out of it a long time ago." People don't want to hear that. They want to hear when they start coming, going through it, and they start coming to you. That means they asking for help. They reaching out for help. And so, what I do, I share my story with people and say, and let them know I understand, and let them know I been through that and if if God can get me through it he can get you through it too and just not and just to let people know that there's resources out there there's help out there and people want to help people but people have to be able to want to receive the help and that's where it starts um, if they want to receive the help and not and then also to let them know the signs of domestic violence there's financial abuse, it's, it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, there's all kinds of self-esteem abuse, there's all kinds of abusements out there, and sometimes a lot of people think it's just physical, but there's way more than that. There's cyber abuse, there's all kinds of abusement out there now, and just being aware and just watching the signs and watching the signals, and if you see one little thing, is that's the sign that get out right now. So that's what I'm I'm here for. Well, let me ask you. You mentioned um, you mentioned physical, emotional, self-esteem, financial. Give me an example of financial abuse. Financial abuse is when someone is. Constantly uh, going into your wallet, and they just take the money out. Financial abuse is when they physically beat you for your money, 
financial abusers also when they just constantly asking you for money because sometimes people just ask, 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 and they don't really need it. They just want it from you. And if you're constantly giving it to them, then they're going to keep taking it. And that becomes, starts becoming an abuser because they're taking um, advantage of you giving it to them. And then some people demand it. If they demand it strongly and you're going to give it to them because you don't want to escalate it to something bigger. So you just give, you ended up just giving them the money just to, so you can have the peace, but within, but really within yourself, you're not having that peace because you're frustrated and you're irritated because you're wondering why they keep asking me for money. Why is they, is that what they, is that all that they want me here for? And then you start getting all these different thoughts in your mind. And so that's part of uh, physical abuse, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, financial abuse. Um, what about um, withholding of of funds? Yeah, is that does that also fall in that you know uh, into that category? Like trying to control by yes. not mm -hmm. providing funds? Yes, that's um, that's another sign of abuse when they want to control the funds. You know, they want to give you you say this is how much you get. And when you need it, I give it to you. So that's controlling it. And controlling is also another sign of abusement. Um, so, yes, that is correct. That is another one. So let me give you a scenario because I, I, I have a, a person that I know who her husband just stopped paying any household bills. <laughs> he just stopped paying any household bills. He will not contribute to even putting food in the house. Mm. Um, yeah, and they have kids. And she works, he works, but he will not contribute anything to he well he I think he may have just started contributing a little something again, but for years. In fact, mm. all of the years that I've known her, um, he refused to contribute to even food for the kids in the house. Mm. Is that also a, a form of financial abuse? That is. In my opinion, I'm not, now I want to stress, I'm not an expert on domestic violence. I want to talk about because of my experiences and from the researches that I've been uh, researching on this topic is because um, the, he's controlling her. So by and the controlling is like, well, I'm not going to pay this, so you're going to pay it. So it's like, and, and in a way, she's being forced. Enforcement is another way of abusement, being forced. And that is because she's being forced to, and not, not that it's not her responsibility, but they're a household, they're a couple, and they're supposed to do it together, but because she's being forced to do it alone, that is part of an abuse because technically he's still eating, he's still sleeping in the household, he still has the, the lights on, the water on, and all that stuff, so basically she's taking care of him when it should be the other way around. Or at least them, them working together to take care working of the family together. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, working together. Well, do you mind if I ask you to share part of your story with, with our audience? Sure. Is there, um, there's, it's so broad of what I've been through, 
Um, but I, I've never been just been through domestic violence. I've been through a lot of other things. But I, I want to share some of my story is that because I, I wasn't aware what I was going through was domestic violence. And so that's my purpose of sharing with people today is I was young. I was a teenage mom. I had my first one at 15, my second one at 16, and that's when the abusement started with the second pregnancy. And I wasn't, um, he was taking my money and he was um, uh, beating me even down the street and drugging me down the street and everything. And, and people, he didn't even care that people would say, stop, leave her alone, because then he would yell at them. So he was the type that didn't care. but. He was, um, I'm sorry, this part is really emotional for me, but I, I like to share it because I don't want other people to go through it. When people are hitting on you like I was being hit on, choked, even the policemen couldn't do that. He held me hostage in the back house of his mom's house and he had my kids and the, the only way that he would release my kids if I was to come back there then when I went back there and they took the kids they got the kids free he had a knife next to my leg and stabbed it into the couch right next to my leg and said how are you going to call the policemen on me he said do you know I can kill you right now so those are threats the threats mm -hmm. is is uh very emotional too because he even found where I lived. I even moved and to a whole nother city and he found me where I lived and he spray painted the, the um, patio door saying watch your back you're dead and all kind of all kind of threats he had did with me and I yes I did get a restraining order and everything but he didn't care and that's what I want to share with people that even though that you get the restraining order and stuff, try not to be fearful of your abuser. And that was, I was so fearful. I was so fearful of my life. I was fearful of my kid's life. But I just had to think about that I'm stronger than him. I had to think, think not physically stronger, but mindfully stronger. And that's where I had to go. And that's how I overcame where I am right now today because I had to change my thoughts. I had to change the way that I was doing things, and that was thinking about my daughters and how can I get them to safety. Hey, let's do it this way, this way. Keep it where he can still see the kids, but with um, supervision. But yet he was still away from me, and that that worked out. So just trying to find a way to get out of it, and I, I strongly tell people get out when you can. Well, let me ask you because so how did it start? I mean, did I mean he he didn't he didn't just up and start smacking you, right? What did he I mean, what what did he do? How did this escalate in such a way that you weren't really aware at first of what was going on? He started doing drugs. That's what happened. Um, he started doing drugs, and he was beating me for my money. That's what he was beating me for. So before that, everything was okay. Before that, he, uh -huh. he wasn't emotionally abusive or anything else. 
No, actually, he wasn't. Actually, he was more like a protector to me. Um, like even when, and it talks about it in my book, that he, when we was coming from the skating ring and we were being, our bus was being attacked and he covered me. He threw me on the floor and covered me, so he protected me. But it's just because of the the, the drugs. Once he started doing that, he changed. Right. And, and he changed it to this person that I was like, wow, who is this person? Then I started thinking about, well, how can he say he loved me and he's doing these things to me? And um, And it wasn't like... I was just, I was getting beat up every day. It wasn't that. It was whenever he got high, whenever he was strung out, that's when the abusement happened. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's such a difficult situation when you add the drugs into the mix, too, because then you probably felt to some extent like, if I could help him, if I could help him get off the drugs, or if I could... You know what I mean? Did that did that come into play for you as well? Like maybe there's something you could do to help him? And it, it was too as my kids was getting older. I, I thought about it, I said, this is still the the father of my children. You mm -hmm. know, this is the father of my children. Nobody wants nobody to be in that situation. And I remember one time I went actually to where he was Something just told me to go there, and I went there, and I saw somebody, and I said, hey, is, is he in there? And they said, yeah. I said, can you ask him to come out? When he came out, it was hard to recognize who he was. Wow. And so I, the kids was in school, so I said, get in my car. So I took him to my home. Even though he did what he did, I still don't have the heart to just turn my back on people. That's just me. So I took him there. And I ran the bathwater, and I fed him and everything. But what I did not know, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't educated on drugs, and I wasn't educated on abusement. But what I did not know is that because he'd been high for five days, he rose up and said something to my daughter at the time. She was eight years old. And we ran out the house, and we never turned back. And that's when I had enough straws because I was like, I'm trying to help him. But he still don't remember that. He still denies. And I never, Denise, I never said that. I said, yes, you did. You said that to your daughter. And that right there, I was like, okay, I, I, I'm trying to help him, but... I also can't danger my children either, nor myself. Right. And that right there is like that's when we, we I just turned my back and said, okay, I have to think more about them than anybody else. Yeah. But I did try to help them. So what do you think, um, I mean, your situation was in some ways a little specific because the drugs were involved, and before that he wasn't that way. But what do you think of uh, folks who find themselves in other types of abusive situations and maybe don't involve drugs should be looking for? Um, it could be from people 
abuse other people from stress, you know, from losing their jobs, from financial issues, you know, a lot of people turn, and it, it seems like it be the one that's closer to them that they abuse, you know, the one that's helping them the most seems to get the most um, beat up on. I'm not talking about physical beat up, I'm just talking about, you know, talking, mm -hmm. you know, yelling at and screaming at and, you know, be quiet and, you know, like they just talk to you like, you're a child, you know, and or they get mad and then they backhand you and stuff and then they go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, but how many sorries can we take? How many sorries can we accept? And that's one of the things that I would be looking out for is the yelling, um, the anger. How often are they yelling? You know, do the, why, why are they yelling? Are they just yelling just to be yelling, or is it from alcohol, or is it just from, you know, it could be from anything. Who knows? It's just a variety of things that why people act the way that they do. So let me ask you this, because you did mention you were a young mom. Mm-hmm. And there had been some research indicating that younger women are very likely to experience at some point in one of their relationships, uh, you know, physical and or emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. What can parents do, do you think, to help you know, because when you're in love, you know, you, you're feeling that, that love thing. You forgive a lot, especially when you're young, right? You know, you get older and like me, and you're like, whatever, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> right. But when, you, but when you're younger, you don't want, you know, especially you had young children. You didn't want to rip them from their father, you know, all these different things. But what kinds of things can parents do, do you think, that can help in these circumstances? I think what parents can do right now today is um, just let them know that they're they're supportive by them, they're there, and don't get involved because the more you get involved, the more you're going to pull them away from you. And so as parents, we don't want our children to get closer to to them. We want them closer to us and let them know, hey, we're here for you. Um, you're not You're not by yourself. We see what's going on, but we hear from you. So home is the door is always open for when you want to come home. Let them know. Let them do. Let them be the one to open up to you. And sometimes it may take a while, but when you just see them and say everything's going to work out, it's like they're going to keep hearing that in their head. Everything's going to work out. I'm here for you. I love you. You know, because sometimes when people when kids get in situations, they think that, and, and I was one of them, I thought I was a bad seed in the family because I was the young one getting pregnant. I was the one that dropped out of school, but I went back and got that. I just want to clarify that. I went back and got it. But the, and to let them, let them know, hey, I'm your mother or I'm your father. I love you, and I'm here for you. And those, those words alone 
can go a long way because it will stay in their head. It will register in their head because love is blind. <laughs> you do uh -huh. so much for, for love for the one that you love, and you make sacrifices for the one that you love. But when you're going through those things, and they can, they'll, they'll know that what mom says, I can always come home, or dad said, I can always come home. They're going to remember that. And guess what? They're going to eventually call home and come back. Wow. Well, you can only hope that they do because, mm -hmm. you know, certainly if they are too blind for too long, it could get to be very, very dangerous, right? Yes, yes, yes. But that's why it's very important for the parents to stay in contact with their children to stay in contact with, even as adults, stay in contact with them. Hey, let's do lunch. Hey, let's, you know, let's get together. Let's, you know, because if you have a routine with them, like say, for example, every third Saturday we go out to lunch, you know, this is mom and daughter time or dad and son time or whatever, daddy and daughter, either way, either way, it's good to do that just so they can see, hey, Mom is still interested or dad's still interested in my life, what I'm doing. And they can, some some will open up and some may not open up, you know, depending on what happened in the household when they was growing up. So, but that's my suggestion. That's what something I would do. And I have done that with even kids that's not even mine. I just say, hey, how are you doing? haven't talked to you in a while. Where you been? What's been up? What's going on? You know, hard things. Mm -hmm. You know, show that you're interested. And then they would, either they will open up or either they won't. But majority of them do open up. And they say, hey, this is what I'm going on. Things aren't good. Seems like everything is always going bad. Blah, blah, blah. And they say, you know what? But everything always turned out good. And if you keep that positive thought feeding into them, eventually they would see the positive stuff and not the negative. Okay. Well, let me then ask you a little more about your story because you you tried to help your ex. Um, you it, tried to, you know be kind with him, and he said something threatening, I guess, to your mm -hmm. daughter. And well, it wasn't threatening to her. He actually asked her to pass him his a pipe. That's what he asked him because oh. that's what he was, his mindset was. Mm -hmm. Even though he was still asleep, it's like he rose up while he, while he was asleep and said those things to her. And that's when we left. Because I said, if he said that to her, and no telling what else he, what else could be on his mind about, hey, you know, because, you know, you hear so many stories and about people on drugs, or how mm -hmm. they act, you know, what it, you know, people kill for this stuff. People, you know, and I'm like, I'm not taking no chances. We're out of here. <laughs> wow. And that's what I did. So y'all, so basically, you got up and left your own house that you were in, yes, and I left did. him there. Yes, I did. Yes, I did, and we got in the car and we left. <laughs> Where'd you go? What'd I you do? I got in the car and left, and I went to my parents' house, and I moved in with my parents' house. I said they can have all that, 
explained to my manager and let my manager know what was going on. So they emptied out the place and everything. And um, so I moved in with my parents and stuff. And then when I moved it to my parents, then things got better because he wasn't going to come there. Right, was, cutting up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good because I gave you a certain amount of protection right. from him because he didn't want to, he knew that it was going to be some a mess if he showed up there acting up, right? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. So um, after that, how did you get your life back on track? What What was the next step for you after you went back home? When I went back home, I actually went back to school. And I went back and got my high school diploma, and then I started working for uh, care facilities because I love working with seniors. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I just started working with that, and I started going to nursing school. Didn't make it to nursing. I, my whole career is totally different now than what I wanted <laughs> to do. But, um, but yeah, so I just started thinking positive about myself. Um, my self-esteem was low because of all the things that I was going through, but then I started thinking to myself, hey, I am somebody special. I can be successful. You know, I am beautiful because, you know, he would say things in my head, don't nobody want nobody that can't have no more kids and already have another already made family. So those things would stick in my head, like, you know, you would never be nobody, you know, those kind of things. But I have to turn that negative into a positive. The negative stuff that he put in my head, I turned that into a positive. I am somebody. I am beautiful. I am special. You know, and that's what I have to do. And the more I said that to myself, the more I start seeing myself doing things, bigger things, better things, working more. And now I've been on my job for 23 years now, getting ready to retire, wow. you know, a published author, you know, getting ready to put out my second book, you know, just really doing things and, and want to start a resource center. That's where I might go. I want to start a resource center so I can have a facility where people can come and get resources for help for mm-hmm. domestic violence, for alcohol and drug abuse, for self, low self-esteem, for, for, you know, depression or anxiety, whatever it is that they're going through. I want to have a facility where people can go and get the help because some people don't know where to get the help or they um, embarrassed to get the help or they're ashamed to get the help. But I want people to know, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. The help is out there, and I say, go grab it. Grab the help, because people want to help. Well, that's amazing. That's, I mean, that's true. People do want to help. And I'm going to stop us right here for just a second. We're going to take a little bit of pause for some announcements, and then we'll be right back in just a second. All right? All right. Hey everybody, it's me, Michelle Berard, host of Somewhere in the Middle and founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I'm Julia Black, energy healer, empathic life coach, and founder of Sacred Ash Healing. Are you feeling like you're stuck and can't move forward? Have you been struggling to birth a big goal like a book or a business? Are you feeling overwhelmed and looking to make changes in your career? If you're at all like us, 
when that deer in headlights feeling hits you, you just don't know where to begin. Talking to friends and family can help, but when you're in need of an objective opinion, it helps to speak with someone who is prepared to listen and to provide practical guidance to help you move forward. That's where a coach comes in. That's why Julia and I are excited to share a way we can help you get unstuck and start moving towards your goals again. And to make it easy for you, we're offering a complimentary call with one of us to help you start moving forward. All you have to do is go to WeRiseMovement.com to schedule your free insight and inspiration call with either Michelle or me. The insight and inspiration call can help you get clear about your goals, uncover hidden challenges that may be hindering your progress, discover steps you can take today to move toward accomplishing your goals, and you will leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take action. All you have to do is visit www.WeRiseMovement.com and schedule your free insight and inspiration call today. That's WeRiseMovement.com. There's a saying that goes, nothing will move in your life until you do. Get moving by booking your free insight and inspiration call at www.WeRiseMovement.com. All right, I am back with Denise M. August, and she was sharing her story uh, with us. And so, Denise, you were saying that you had suffered with low self-esteem and, and, and feeling inadequate because of the really abusive behavior and the things that your ex was saying to you and you started turning your life around in part it sounds like through self-affirmation you know like reminding yourself of how special you are and how good you are and, mm -hmm. and taking those negative things that he said about you and and making replacing them with positive thoughts what other mm -hmm. kinds of things did you do to kind of shift your mindset and and move yourself to a more empowered place emotionally? Well, I think that that had came from my parents, um, the support of my parents, my mom and dad. They, even though the stuff that I was going through and because I had kids at an early age, they never downgraded me. They never um, said, we're not going to help you. They came with open arms. My mom was like, we'll take the kids to school. You just go get your education. And, you know, and so I think with their help and encouraging me helped me out a lot, you know, because it, it made me feel better because it made me feel like you're not that bad, see, that you thought you were. You know, you just went through a challenge, and then now I'm, le I'm learning as my walk that I am It's part of my journey. And we all go through things for a reason. And just when we go through it, it's like, how do we get through it, get to this point? How do we get out of what we got ourselves into? And sometimes we make bad decisions, but we learn from them. You know, and that's what makes us stronger. Um, and like to me, I think that's what made me stronger is to learn from the, from what I did. And I'm not going to say 
um, mistakes because it's just something that we did and we know what we're doing. So I feel that once I learn from that and I just move forward, oh, nope, I'm not going down that road again, you know, I'm going to go this way, I'm going to go the other way. And so when I have that mindset of that and my focus and I make goals in my life, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to see myself. And so when I started making that, then it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm getting where, I, where I'm going. And then the more that I see my success, the more I'm aiming because it's like I am bigger than what people said I was going to be. I am better than what people are going to say. And that's what we have to do for ourselves, that we going to be bigger than what people say we are. And, you know, you just got to set goals, and that's what I did. Very cool. So one of the challenges with setting goals, I think, sometimes is, or I read this, or read it recently, or someone said it, maybe I heard it recently, um, that we tend to overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in three years. Hmm. How did you keep yourself motivated? Because anytime I know when I set goals, sometimes you fall a little short of those goals. How do, you know, sometimes you hit them, other times you surpass them, but sometimes you fall a little short. How did you keep yourself motivated? Because presumably everything wasn't just 100% like smooth sailing all the time. Right. Um, I've, I've had kids, so I know that life gets <laughs> challenging. Right, right. Um, right. With kids, and, I, you know, how did you keep yeah. yourself motivated when things were not so easy? Well, I have to tell you, my kids help me motivate me. <laughs> my kids are grown now, and they motivate me all the time. Mom, you got this. You could do this. You know, um, and I think the support of them helps me helps motivate me and I want to say because when you reach your goals no you're not going to always make your goals but at least you got a goal to to strive for and that's mm -hmm. the key long as you got something to strive for and you trying and not just not trying it's the difference from trying and not trying you could try to make it and make it, or you can try not to make it and just let it sit there. So these are my goals. You know how some people will say, oh, this is my goals for this year. This is what I'm going to do. Hmm, I'm going to write a book. But you never make it. You never write it. You never sit down and write it. So how can you make that goal if you don't? do something about it or try, even if it's little by little. And and I want to encourage people to share their stories, you know, because it took me three years to write the one that I wrote. <laughs> you wow. know, so don't, the key is don't give up. If you don't make it within those three years, set another goal for another, you know, another three years. But don't give up on that goal. Well, and I think what you said is really important. It is important that we share our stories because, and that's kind of one of my mantras to people, is that your story is valuable, your story means something, and you mm -hmm. never know who you're going to touch with your story. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about your book. Your Your first book is If I Only Knew Then What I Know Now. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that book. That book is uh, 
an inspirational, motivational, spiritual book. It's about my life, and it talks about my trials and tribulations that I've been through, but it talks about how God got me out of it. But it also talks about the good things like um, our names, like how our names are handpicked by God, and then it talks about you know, um, this my life as a little girl and how I was growing up, you know, singing on stage and and on the radio and stuff like that and just to 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 my twenty I think to my twenty fifth year, um, that's what it just talks about my life and just things that to help other people and talks about how I almost died and but, you know, I just praise God that I'm here right now today to be able to share my stories with people, you know, to strengthen them, give them hope. Okay, so you know I have to ask now. You said you almost died. What happened? I was pregnant with my third child, and because I was going through all the abusement, and I and I, all my kids was back-to-back. -back. They were back-to-back, -back, and I felt like, I didn't want to bring this child into this world in, in an abusive relationship, kissed out on drugs, and my own welfare, you know, so my self-esteem was really, really low. I was really depressed, really depressed. And I hid it from so many people. Nobody even knew what I was going through. I talked to my sisters and right now, they're like, we didn't even know you went through that until they actually read my book. And... Um, so I got an abortion. When I got an abortion, the doctor put a hole in my uterus and left half of the baby in me. Oh, wow. And, and it, that's how I almost died because uh, half of the, the baby was in me where the doctor was able to tell me what it was, and it was a boy. So I called him my son, and, yeah, we named him and everything. But that that was, took me so many years to get over that because I beat myself up for so many years oh for God. doing that, for even for even getting the abortion. I hate it right now today, but I, I emotionally wasn't ready for another child because I was only 17. Mm -hmm. And that's when, so I was in the hospital for 14 days and I couldn't talk or anything I was they told actually his mom and his brother saved my life his mom did and so she I couldn't even walk so they carried me to the car and the doctor told her if she would have waited 20 more minutes she would have been totally a dead body oh my so I, god yeah so before she passed I visited her several times in the facility and thanked her for saving my life. Yeah. Wow. So that was very hard. It, the, the book is very emotional. Um, it, was, it took me so long because it was so much that needed to be said. And, and I put so much in there because I wanted people to see that if you're going through these things, don't give up on your life. Don't give up. Just keep going. There's there's bigger and better things in, in your life for you. And that's why that was my purpose of writing a book, to help other people. And 
is let them know they're not they're not by themselves. They're not by themselves. There's other other people just like us been through the same thing, and they're still going through it. But we're here to help one another. Wow, that is. Um, I am so sorry for your loss, and you know for that that pain that you had to go through. Thank you. Yes, it it still gets me every now and then. A lot of it does, but you know I just I'm glad I'm still here today and able to share with other people. Well, and you've you've made um, quite a contribution, you know, as I look, you know, at your bio and all the things that you've done, um, the charity work that you do, um, you know, the speaking that you do and so forth. I mean, I can't help but wonder, I mean, is, I'm presuming your ex is still alive. He is. Um, he is still alive. He don't even come around or anything. So, you know, we we, we make peace with everything. He did read the book. He was, but I had to get the consent, and I did get the. He gave me the consent to share it, to be able to share the story. Um, so he did read the book. He was angry at first, but you know, he saw something that he didn't. He wasn't aware of his own. You know how sometimes people do things and they're not really, they like, wow, I didn't do all those things. Yes, you did. You know. And that was I, my question. That's really where I was going with this was, has, is he still on drugs? And does he, has he, how, how has he reacted? That was really what I was trying to get to was where, what, what was his reaction when he finally kind of saw some of this stuff? Well, he's um, he's no longer on drugs, mm -hmm. um, thank God. But he he's been in prison for a long time, and I think that helped him. So um, because, like, I was sharing with somebody else on another show, I was still, even though he did what he did to me, I still had to try to find a way to help him because he, again, he is the father of my children. I didn't want him to to be just downhill, you know, because I saw, I know his potential and I know what he can do. And he's very smart, very intelligent, but because he made a bad choice in his life, it caused him to do the things that he's doing. And I'm not making excuses for him, but mm -hmm. I'm just saying what I saw before I, before he got into just how he was. And so I started writing him, encouraging him, motivating him. And then, um, so to stay, you know, write your daughter's, this, don't forget this is your daughter's birthday, you know, because kids, you don't want that to mess with your kids, like either all the daddy ain't never been around, mom ain't never been around, and stuff like that, or they'll blame the mother for the dad not being around, even though the dad did, with, you know, vice versa, even though the dad did what he did, the, the kids still will blame the parent, the, the mother that is there, you know. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep the peace and balance it out where, Nobody gets blamed for anything because it can affect your children. And that was my goal is to not let it affect them in any kind of way. Now, I'm not saying that they're not affected because they grew up with no man in the household, but they were hurt. But then when they got older, 
they made the choice to reach out to their dad. And, okay. and they were, they were being with him on Father's Day and stuff like that, but then he made another bad choice, and it wasn't drugs, but he just disappeared. And so they just, like, forget it. We can't keep having him coming in and out of our life like that because then it's messing with them emotionally. Right. And then that's when I stepped in and say, okay, you can't keep doing this. Either you in or either you out. Now, they just want you to be a part of their life. They're not saying hang out with them every day, but just call them and say, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. You know, I'm proud of you and your accomplishments that you're doing because they are really accomplished successful women, you know, and I told him, I said, you ought to be very proud of your daughters, and so um, that's what, um, that's what I've been doing, that's what I did, so I just sent him words of encouragement and gave him hope, and so he came out, and he's working a, a job, but we don't talk, though, we don't talk okay. or anything like that, yeah. Well, and once the kids are grown, there is less need for that, right? Unless there's some family thing. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, I am just blown away by your story. I'm blown away by your grace. I am absolutely blown away by your grace. I am not afraid to tell you you're a better woman than I. (laughs) I am not afraid to tell you that. You are definitely a better woman than I because you have been uh, kind and generous with someone who really, really um, caused you a lot of pain and and potentially could have caused even more pain for your children and you over time. So you are a fabulous lady, Denise. I'm glad glad that we were able to have you. Thank you. um, You mentioned that you're working on another book. Yes, it's a daily devotional, and it's called New Day, New Journey. So every day, because you know we get hit by them curveballs every day. <laughs> you know, we think one day when we get up in the morning, we got a plan. This is the way we go. Go, we go do this. It's gonna be a good day. Then boom, you get hit by a curveball. Yep. So it's a it's a it's a everyday word of encouragement to encourage you that no matter what we get hit with by that we would get through it because in every day it's a new day and a new journey because that's what it is <laughs> and I had to start to, I had to tell myself that and I think that's what helps me too because I go okay this is a new day I'm not going to think about what happened yesterday because then when we start stressing about what happened yesterday stress about what happened the day before then we cause and stress to our bodies, which would mess up with our organs, and then we, mm-hmm. we start having health issues and all this other stuff, and, you know, you get these big old migraines and all that. So, nope, nope, new day, new journey. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. And when is that due out? I My goal is November 1st. That's okay, the goal. Great. Very, very good. So where tell tell everybody where they can purchase your books. Well, my book is on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble, and it's also on my website. They can purchase it on my website. I also have Twitter and Facebook. Okay, what's your website? It's www.deniseaugust.webs.com. Okay, spell that out just in case people didn't get that. 
Okay, it's www.denisaugust at w e b as in boy. I'm sorry, w e b s dot com. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> and your Twitter handle is uh, at Denise August. Um, and you mentioned Instagram? Did you mention yes. Instagram? Yep. What's, what's your handle there? It's Denise August. Awesome. And the book can be purchased on your website and at all the usual suspects like Amazon and all that? Yes. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And we're going to be looking for New Day, New Journey. Yes. Come November. Yes. Awesome. Very, very good. Well, do you have any public appearances, any book signings, or anything that you want folks to know about, or, or anything, any other live events? Um, I, for the rest, of this, the rest of this year, I don't have anything booked because I'm working on revivals and stuff like that. But I am, in March of next year, I will be doing a workshop on my book. Somebody asked me to do a workshop regarding my book. It's called New Day, New Journey. I mean, not New Day, New Journey. If I only knew then what I know now and the power of it. So wow. that's what they're going to do. Yeah, it's a Gene Stephan conference. Very, is that going to be out here in California? Yes, it will be in Sacramento. All right. I expect to get some information about it. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying, because I do love I to make sure you get it. <laughs> I, I, I love to be there and see how you oh, do your workshop, yay. man. I would love to be there. Yay. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, Denise, August, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us and, and doing the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I just hope that it helps someone. I have no doubt, no doubt at all that it will. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So we're going to take a quick break for an announcement, and then we'll be back with a new segment that we're starting this week, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys. Wow, that was a fabulous, fabulous interview with Denise August. I'm so grateful to have had her on the show. And I'm really excited now because I have a new segment that we're starting, and I'm here with Julia Black, energy healer, empathic life coach, and founder of Sacred Ash Healing. And we are going to be talking today about some of the very issues that Denise August was sharing with us in her interview. Julia, thank you for joining me. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited because, you know, it just so happened you and I were talking, and I'm like, you know, I really want to do something extra on the show for our guests and um, or for our listeners. And what Denise was talking about really falls right in line with the kinds of things you and I have been talking about, about not specifically abusive relationships, although definitely this is a component of abusive relationships oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about kind of the mind games, right? Yeah. Kind yeah. of, you know, people kind of getting in your head and making you not trust yourself. 
and all of those things and our individual experiences with that, you know, in, mm -hmm. throughout the course of our lives. So what do you think is one of the key issues that you're dealing with when you when you're dealing with, you know, this kind of gaslighting? Well, gaslighting is an interesting term, and there's a whole strange history about it, which we don't have to get into, but Google it because it's kind of an interesting how the, how, the, how the name came about. But essentially what happens with gaslighting is that the person who is the abuser makes you question all of your instincts and all of your choices so that you are completely dependent on him or her. Um, so you don't feel like even you don't feel like you can trust yourself even if it's something like I should go to the supermarket. You need to ask your partner if it's okay that you go to the supermarket for whatever reason. And the abuser doesn't necessarily need to understand that that's what he or she is doing, um, but that's essentially what happens. So that when you leave a relationship that is emotionally abusive or physically abusive or abuse, even even something like financially abusive like like um, Ms. August was talking about earlier is that you question everything um, and you don't trust yourself. So it's really important to try and reevaluate and get in touch with your own instincts and your belief in yourself after you get out of a relationship like that. Well, actually, well, even if you're in a relationship like that, too, it's something that you should do. Well, and the thing is that you don't always recognize when mm -hmm. you're in a, even a borderline relationship. Like, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and this is going to sound so stupid. Every time I think about it, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing ever. But my first ex-husband was like a lunatic about the way the toilet paper roll went onto the toilet ring, you know, the little holder, the little spindle. And I was like, what does it matter? You just stick it on there and you use the toilet paper. What does it matter? He was like a lunatic about this. And it was very strange, but it's something that he actually trained me Mm -hmm. to put the toilet paper on the roll and the toilet paper roll on in such a, in in the way that he wanted which was mm -hmm. the paper flipped over i had right. never paid attention to it before ever in my life and the reason this is important and and interesting to me is because we have been divorced for over 20 years mm -hmm. and, and when i go that. to put the toilet paper roll on i put it on that way and if I go to put it on the opposite way I turn it around and I'm like and I was thinking about this just like last week like what is going on Michelle you you never thought about this before you were married to this person yeah you and know things like and and what essentially happens and this is kind of part of it for lack of a better word the quote training process that that a person like this will do is that that there are things that they feel very strongly about and just will not relent. You get advice about it, and it's just easier if you just do what they want because it's ridiculous to fight about. So there's also, the, in a similar case uh, that, were, that your story reminded me of, there's that movie Sleeping with the Enemy that was, I think it was came out in the 90s, it's with Julia Roberts, mm -hmm. and she's with, 
an abusive husband that she actually, like a very abusive husband. Um, and he had trained her to put all of the labels on all of the canned goods facing, facing exact, completely aligned and facing exactly the same way. Uh, and when she, she had faked her death and she went to live by herself and she, she decided she wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, but the way that she knew that he had come back to find her was when all of the cabinets were aligned again. Um, but there are things like that because it's mm-hmm. so, what happens is it's just, it's just easier. It's just easier, right? This is ridiculous. Because everybody's got those, everybody's got those weird things that they have. Uh, and you just kind of, all right, this is something, this is one of their weird OCD things. All right, that's fine. Um, I have them too. Um, but the difference is between kind of crazy, not crazy, but the little quirks that everybody has and things that are more of um, a compulsion or a gaslighting or something that is more of a controlling issue that you would see in an abuse, a more abusive relationship is how people react to it. Is that yeah. if there's a, a really extreme argument um, where kicking and screaming, it's like, sorry, I forgot. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, but the, your partner flies off the handle, um, and you just are afraid if you don't do it. That's when you know that it's more of a gaslighting situation rather than just somebody's compulsion pet peeve, whatever. Right, right. Right? And the thing that's dangerous, though, is, like, even if they're not kicking and screaming angry, Mm -hmm. a lot of times there is a, it's almost like a seething energy underneath. Mm -hmm. That's the part that I think got me trained to do certain things Mm -hmm. a certain kind of way. There was, like, the seething kind of energy underneath that I couldn't put my finger on. I'm like, this matters to you, I'm going to just do it. And here Mm -hmm. I am 20 years later still doing that. And along with that, there were other little signs, because a lot of times you don't even realize that you've walked into a potentially abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, I hadn't worn watches in 20 years either, because he wouldn't let me wear a watch on the weekends. Really? Why not? He wouldn't let me wear a watch on the weekends. I could wear one to work because, you know, professional look and and Mm -hmm. you're at work. But basically, no watches on the weekends um, because we're not supposed to have to mind time on the weekends. Hmm. So I bought my first watch in 20 years a few months ago. I had not worn a watch in 20 years, basically, because once I stopped wearing it on the weekend, I eventually stopped wearing it at all. I have beautiful mm-hmm. watches, and it's just one of those things that you don't even realize you're being conditioned to sometimes, and yeah. they may couch it in things like, oh, we're supposed to be free on the weekend, and we don't need to watch the time, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? It's just one of those yeah. things really, and then it seems like all free and easy, but then it's like, no, you're not supposed to be wearing a watch. No, it's the weekend. Don't wear a watch. Why are you wearing a watch? You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. obviously much more than just that. But initially, you don't even notice it sometimes. 
Yeah, and that's true. I mean, it, it generally with with abusive relationships, for me, I didn't even realize it was happening um, until I was way far in. Um, but for me, it was different. There were different things. You know, there weren't because we my abusive relationship happened when I was in high school, um, so we weren't living together, and there weren't these the same kinds of things. Um, but there were there was a lot of controlling things that went on. And initially it started out being a protector kind of thing, right? Where it was mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, I want to make sure you're safe. So, um, you know, let me know when you get home. Okay. And then, so then I'd call when I get home. But there would be things like, oh, wait, I can't say hi to my mom. I have to call the second I get home. And then if I wait 10 minutes, and, I, and it's 20 minutes from when I leave his house to, a, to when I get my house, and um, it only takes five minutes to get from his house to my house, then what were you doing? Where were you going? What were, who were you with? Did you mm -hmm. stop at somebody else's house? And then all of a sudden it became a paranoid thing. Um, so my stuff was different, but it started out being, oh, well, he just, he's just worried about me. And then it generally escalated until I realized that it was I was so far in that it was too difficult to to get out kind of right. at that point. Well, and sometimes what you know the mind games that are played are really the most dangerous things. So, like towards the end of my first marriage, things really deteriorated, and. Um, I mean, like deteriorated to knock down, drag out in the hotel lobby of a five-star hotel in Mexico City type thing. And later, late, even though I have police reports, well, I only recently shredded that stuff. I only recently got rid of that stuff just in case I needed to refer back to it for some reason, you know, because when you have to interact with people in court periodically you might need that stuff right but um even i have police reports outlining everything that happened um he actually perpetuated the story and tried to convince me that i had attacked him mm -hmm. and like i attacked you i was trying to leave i was trying to leave the hotel what are you talking about Mm -hmm. And the mind game that's mm -hmm. played, no, you attacked us. You attacked me. And mm -hmm. Were you almost like, wait, are, were we in the same room? Uh -huh. Were no, we on the I same was, planet? Yeah, and I would have similar things, too. I, was, I, I went to private school, so I had a, a relatively far drive from school to his house. I had to go to his house both before school and after school. Um, and... There were times when if I was two or three minutes late because there was traffic on the road, um, it was, no, you, you must have stopped at somebody else's house. You must have another boyfriend. And it happened so regularly because he had, he had, he had somehow figured out a time period down to the minute. And if I was one minute late, then I somehow had the time to go to somebody's house and talk to another boy. Um, wow. and it was, and really we had this argument almost every day 
And so eventually it got to the point where it was, well, did I? Well, I don't think I did. No, it, really, you get to the point where you yeah. are absolutely positively questioning because, because I had been so trained that what he said was correct and what I said was not, even though I was there and he wasn't. So, but you get to that point where you trust nothing but what, what the other person says. And that's why it's so important that you stop and you reevaluate your own choices and what you want and realize what those things are. So what would you, what would you say are, if you had to give three concrete things that people can do to, I don't want to say avoid the situation because obviously you may not be able to avoid it. You may already be in it. But to kind of uh, stay grounded in, in the situation and be able to evaluate accurately what's going on. I would say, um, number one, realize that you are intelligent. You were able to make choices and do things and you were safe and you were protected and you had good instincts before this person came along and whether that person is still here or whether you've, you've separated or you've broken up, um, you can get back to that point and get even stronger and get even stronger instincts. Um, and that Number two, your thoughts and your feelings and your intuition are incredibly important. Um, and your it's not going to steer you wrong. So what ends up happening is that your partner, when you're in a relationship like this, your partner has taught you not to trust yourself. Um, but trusting yourself is a self-preservation instinct. The reason why they've taught why they've taught you not to trust yourself is because chances are, there are parts of you that are saying, no, what, what you're doing is wrong, and they don't want you to think that. So trust that what your gut and what your feelings and what your choices are and the things that you want are things that are actually going to be best for you. Um, and that doesn't and, and that goes with everything. Um, and three, um, Understand that there are ways that you can listen to your intuition. Um, you can, you know, take a drive. And if you don't have to go anywhere, just drive around and see where you feel you should go. Um, I did this um, I did, when I started doing this, when I was starting to listen to myself, I, I decided this is something small, but it was it's I'm fascinated by it every time I think about it. I'm a big reader, and I had the whole Harry Potter series in hardback. Um, and if you know anything about that series, the later books are very big and very heavy. Um, so I had decided that I was going to switch from hardback to paperback. Um, but it was expensive. To do that was expensive. The seventh book had just come out, um, or within a year or so. Um, and so I was trying to save up enough money to buy it. And I'm driving around, 
trying to listen to my intuition and see where I should go, and I'm guided towards a garage sale. Like, all right, I don't need anything, but sure, I'll go. So I go to the garage sale, and in the back corner of a garage is a box of books. And I look through it, and sure enough, all right there are all seven books of the Harry Potter <laughs> series in paperback. And I had just had this thought, like, a week beforehand. And I hadn't even, like, figured out, I was, well, I'll save some money and it'll be fine. But didn't think about it any further than that. Um, and then here they all are. And I was able to get them really cheap. <laughs> okay, now I can sell all my hardback books. But sometimes it'll be something like that that you find. Sometimes it'll, you'll be walking around, all right, why am I supposed to be here? Um, and sometimes you won't get anything out of it. And sometimes you'll get something cool out of it. And sometimes, all right, this is what I can do. Um, but the more you do that, the more you'll understand what your intuition feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will help you as you continue to trust yourself. Yeah, trusting yourself is really important, and it's something that really we end up having to practice, particularly after we get out of, and it doesn't even have to be abusive relationships. It could just be a bad breakup where you start mm-hmm. to doubt your, your judgment, because um, mm-hmm. that happened with me. I had a really, just a bad breakup, and I just stopped trusting my judgment about people, about men in particular, mm-hmm. and yeah. it puts you in a really, in a, a really difficult place because you can't yeah. really accomplish things the way that you need to when you don't trust your judgment, when you don't trust your intuition. Yeah, and the more that you do trust your intuition, the more that some of the cre- some of the things that are a little bit more off the wall that your soul is telling you that you need um, won't seem so strange. For example, the, the artist Jewel, um, she was working in San Diego she has this story. It's actually really cool. She was working in San Diego, and she's trying to have – she's trying to get a she's job. She's a receptionist. She's got some office job, and it's not paying very well. And on weekends, she's out in San Diego, like, playing her guitar, trying to make some extra money. Um, and there was something that went down, and she had decided she didn't want to do that anymore. Um, but she didn't know how she was going to – um, support herself, and she's talking to her mom, and her mom goes, "You know what? You just need to do what your what your instincts are telling you." And she goes, "My instincts are telling me to live out of my van and play my guitar and be homeless." <laughs> <laughs> and her mom said, "Then that's what you need to do. And if you need more money, then you call us, and we'll give you some, and we'll help you out." And that's so that's what she did, and that's where she was discovered on the street corner in San Diego. Wow. Wow. Okay, if that's not a testimony, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, we're we're coming close to the end of this uh, segment, so I want to just invite you, if you are feeling like you are stuck, whether it's because you're in a difficult relationship or you've had some challenges that have made you maybe question your own judgment, question your intuition, and you're trying to get back in touch with that piece of yourself that guided you, especially when you were young, that guided you through whatever situations, why don't you reach out to us? We can uh, have a complimentary insight and inspiration call. You can talk to either Julia or me 
go to WeRiseMovement.com and let's get you back in touch with who you are, with your understanding of what you need so that you can trust yourself again, so that you can make those decisions that are best for you and move forward. Julia, thanks for joining me on this segment. I'm looking forward to doing this again. Yeah, this is fun. Awesome. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Again, a big shout out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It's a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on September 21st when my guest will be author and coach Dr. Marcia Demers. You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash, somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, bit.ly, slash, somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.